3: Majority Whip Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer won the nomination for House Speaker in a closed door vote, but then dropped out of the race just hours later, forcing Republicans to go back to square one. And war rages on as Israel and the United States confer on the next steps in the country's fight against Hamas, as a small number of hostages are slowly being released by the terror group. The world waits as Israel weighs in and weighs its options for a ground invasion of Gaza.
0: Where's the outrage? Where is the revulsion? Where is the rejection? Where is the explicit condemnation of these horrors? We must affirm the right of any nation to defend itself and to prevent such horror from repeating itself.
3: But as the crisis in the Middle East continues to boil over and a potential government shutdown draws closer, Congress has less than one month to select a speaker and address those and other pressing issues. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Fox News Senior Political Analyst Juan Williams, Fox News Contributor and Chief Political Correspondent for the Washington Examiner, Byron York, and Fox News Radio Political Analyst, Josh Kraschow. Josh, uh, this is a mess. What is uh, what is going to happen? It's, you know, you, you finally had this unity pledge that people behind closed doors were going to vote for the person who got the most votes, and then it didn't hold so now they're back to square one trying to find some consensus candidate and it does not seem like they're finding one
0: it, it is total dysfunction brett uh you know the the government funding runs out next month israel is in need of additional uh funding for for its defense uh there's a lot on the line legislatively and republicans are, are sort of back to where they began they they don't have support for sort of a more Um, traditional uh, candidate. Tom Emmer was endorsed by Kevin McCarthy. He had a lot of the same support as Kevin McCarthy, but he would have gotten the same opposition from, from the eight Republicans who defenestrated Kevin McCarthy in the first place and uh Jim Jordan would not get unified support from the caucus uh, with a couple dozen republicans uh not willing to support him and, and folks on the on the right wing of the party so you know you you functionally have this coalition government of, of of two different wings of the Republican party which look increasingly further apart uh ideologically you've got the maga wing and the more traditional wing and then you've got the eight republicans who wanted to blow everything up in the first place because they didn't want to compromise and I don't know where we go from here. I guess the next option is finding someone that maybe Democrats could 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 back in, in a compromise uh or, or bipartisan governance. But I, I don't see any Republican at this point being able to get the necessary votes to to win over all but five of their uh, Republican colleagues. It's it's a divided caucus and it's divided along ideological lines and also personal grievance that that is preventing anyone from emerging as a new speaker.
3: Yeah, Byron, I mean, the the former president said he wasn't going to get involved and then (laughs) he got involved. He put out a truth social post saying, I have a lot of friends running for speaker. Tom Emmer is not one of them, essentially, in not so many words. And that (laughs) doesn't seem like it helped.
1: (laughs) That was all she wrote. Yes, Trump uh, called Tom Emmer a rhino, Uh, and said that voting for him for speaker would be a tragic mistake. And listen, I I don't think you can underestimate the influence that Trump has on these things. Trump's popularity, he's at about 59% in the real clear politics average of polls with a lead over the second place Republican nationally of 45 plus points. That power, that lead, and what it indicates, which is approval of a majority of Republican voters, gives Trump just an outsized voice in everything. And it's certainly heard on Capitol Hill. And Trump had secretly, not, it had privately uh, been telling people that he didn't want Emmer. Emmer was one of the two candidates in the race who had actually voted to certify Joe Biden's electoral victory back on January 6, 2021. Um, Trump had said he didn't want Emmer. uh, He wasn't a good choice, but it was still kind of private. He hadn't actually come out and said that. And when he came out and said it, Emmer was gone within the hour. Um, So I think this was uh, a sign of Trump's continued influence in the party.
3: Okay. So, Juan, what Republican candidate could moderate Democrats get around to start moving things forward with maybe the condition that you take up the the president's full $106 billion, um, including the Ukraine funding, and you put it on the floor. Um, I don't know what other conditions would be needed, but what other candidate potentially could get Democrats involved?
2: Well, it's there's no shortage of centrist Republicans. They're, in fact, I mean, the argument is they're the majority, and as you know, trenchant Republicans like former Speaker Newt Gingrich have said, there is a group of Republicans, mostly Freedom Caucus Republicans, who have launched this moment of dysfunction, as as earlier been said on this podcast. Um, but I think that you know it's the 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 key problem for democrats Brett would be which of the i believe that there are now nine was it nine candidates before when Emmer was running mm-hmm. of those nine i think you know six or seven of them are people who are locked into donald trump's argument that the 2020 election was stolen and what you would hear from democrats is why would we back anybody who's going to not only perpetrate this ongoing big lie, but secondly, uh, you know, say, oh yeah, let's impeach President Biden. Let's keep going after Hunter Biden. Uh, You know, all of the kind of constant churning that seems to me to be a sideshow, but clearly to the Republicans are important messages to the base that they are loyal to Donald Trump. I mean, today we have a situation where Jenna Ellis, a former Trump lawyer, I think she's now the third Trump lawyer, along with Sidney Powell and others who, who said, I'm guilty in Atlanta to election interference. Well, wait a second. I mean, people are pleading guilty, but Donald Trump continues to dominate the conversation in about Republican politics and the Republican Party. So it's impossible for Democrats to say, oh yeah. It's fine. We'll go right along and come and help the Republicans because, at their moment of dysfunction, we need a functional Republican Party to govern our country, to help, as Josh pointed out, with Israel, to help, as Byron pointed out, with the budget. We need a Republican Party. But I think that from the Democrats' point of view, you need a Republican Party that is willing to work on a bipartisan basis and not to make its goal. To trash either the Democrats or the country in general.
3: All right, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this.
0: Fox News Radio on demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today.
3: So, uh, Byron, you talked about. Uh, You know the former president and his popularity, but these court cases are for real. Um, This ABC News is reporting that Mark Meadows, former White House chief of staff, has been granted immunity, um, and is telling the special counsel that he warned the uh, President Trump about the 2020 claims. Uh, These cases, while Republicans lump on that they are all politically driven, do have uh, consequences, and they. Are starting to materialize with Sidney Powell and uh, Cheeseborough and uh, Jenna Ellis now taking plea deals and testifying against former President Trump, and that's the backdrop at which his popularity is high within the Republican Party, and he is affecting the Speaker race currently.
1: It is, and you know the the Georgia case, which I think a lot of us thought we weren't even going to see in court for a very long time is really beginning to bite now because a number of analysts uh, like Andy McCarthy will say, look, the Georgia case uh, alleged this giant Rico conspiracy uh, and nobody's pleaded guilty to that. And that is true. Um, They've all been, they've gotten off with no jail uh, plea deals. On the other hand, what you're seeing is the, the Rico charge in Georgia is so, Uh, serious. I believe it carries a mandatory five-year jail sentence. And so what it appears going on is the prosecutor has used the threat of this, and they were all charged with this RICO conspiracy charge, uh, and used the threat of this to say to the defendants, you know, this will get you in jail for five years. You really don't want that. Why don't you plead to this? And then you'll be a felon. And I can say we've got you know six felony or 10 felony or 12 felony um uh pleas or convictions in this case and then go after trump so i i think this georgia case is is kind of playing out in a slightly different way than i thought uh and it's not
3: good for trump
0: yeah josh you agree with that yeah i totally agree with byron that you have now you know three three's, a, threes a, a crowd with ellis and kenneth cheeseborough and sydney powell all pleading guilty and uh presumably giving prosecutors some ammunition uh, in preparation for for uh, the upcoming trial next year in Washington against Donald Trump uh so yeah I think this is I mean this is a big x factor in the 2024 election we've talked about how dominant Trump is in the Republican primary among Republican voters but there's going to be this big wild card of what happens legally and how does that affect the 2024 election and the evidence or the, the 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 pleas this week by by three prominent folks in his inner circle only make his legal exposure all, all, all the more and all the more significant.
3: Yeah, and Juan, he's said, the former president has said that he was gonna come out with some big rollout of all the specific evidence about the 2020 election, but he has not, he did not have that press conference and and he um, did not present it in court. Um, and so, you know, you're left to, to piece together what's happening behind the scenes with these prosecutors and getting these plea deals.
2: Yeah, I mean I I have no clue if that's what you're asking because it, it he promised that he would make the case and he has not. Uh and the plea deals in terms of the any uh, agreement to cooperate are not explicit but they are implicit in the sense that these people are getting off with fairly light sentences no jail time. Well, why would the prosecutor agree to that? Um, you know, so quickly? And I think it's to build up a wall, to build a case that is more threatening to Donald Trump. And I think that that's clearly the case, but again, it's implicit. I don't know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. I do know for a fact though, that in terms of the politics we're talking about, because we're just about at the point of beginning the presidential election season, You know, we're not that far away from Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary now, Uh, you know, this adds into what's going on on Capitol Hill in terms of people saying, my gosh, what is going on with a party? In fact, the party that has the leading nominee for president of the United States, Donald Trump, he in some recent polls leads current President Biden. Um, And the question is then, well, how does this affect that calculation? Are people saying, well, uh, not just Republicans, but all voters, are they saying, gosh, this stuff on Capitol Hill, all of this legal trouble for Donald Trump is a sideshow while Joe Biden's off trying to take command of world affairs in Israel, dealing with the Ukraine and Russia, dealing with China? Or is it the case that somehow it doesn't matter? Uh, You know, there've been lots of reports about Biden now wanting to run as a wartime president. Well, how does... Donald Trump fit into this. He's had critical comments about Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. He said Hamas is smart. Does it matter? I'm not sure. What is the I, I don't know that any of us on this podcast, because we're all political, we tune into politics or political commentators, understand when something is going on at a totally different level where people say it doesn't matter to them that they want Donald Trump.
3: Yeah. Byron, I, I mean, I do, we do see that in polls. We do see, you know, the the pushback on the establishment and maybe this is the reason why they're going after him because he can stir things up, et cetera, et cetera. But he has shot himself in the foot a few times on what he has said. This is the former president. That said, there's also polls showing that the president currently is at 23 percent approval on the immigration and the border. He's yep. at 38 percent on the economy and overall. And there is not a sense, even within Democrats, that he's up to the job, even though, as Juan said, he's focusing more on Ukraine and Israel and some of the ads deal with him being in the train going to see uh, Vladimir Zelensky in, you know, Kiev. I think there is a real vulnerability there that uh, the Democrats acknowledge.
1: Do you think we're going to be talking about the Dean Phillips campaign in a few weeks? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there, There is one fairly obscure member of the house dean phillips democrat who has made a lot of noise about challenging biden um and and he did
3: file in new hampshire
1: the interesting thing would be um of course that's kind of acting like new hampshire is going to have a a democratic primary the way it used to uh but still uh that that would be a real test of a non-fringe Uh, non-Robert F. Kennedy Jr., non-Cornell West, non-Marianne Williamson um, uh, candidacy against Biden. I'm not saying it's going to win, but it would be uh, a really uh, interesting test to see if the president is as vulnerable. And if I could say one thing more about people supporting Trump, uh, a lot of Trump supporters— Uh, feel they were doing much better economically during the Trump years. Uh, Before the inflation that has eaten away at their um, standard of living, uh, before the interest rates increase that made it difficult for them uh, to buy a house, Uh, they feel the world is going to hell right now uh, globally in a way that it did not during the Trump years. And they actually think things were better for them and the rest of the world uh, during the Trump years. That's not an irrational case to make. Um, And on the other side are all the indictments and all the everything arrayed against Trump. But the people who do support Trump have rational reasons for doing it as well.
3: Yeah, Uh, Josh, let's turn focus really quickly on on Israel uh, and their pushback against the Hamas attacks. There is this sense that uh, the Biden administration has helped steer them on this question about whether to go in now or continue this negotiation with hostages, at least that's a perception, maybe a combination of Israelis, you know, planning and figuring out what the end game is going to look like. But clearly, this has been delayed in one shape or another uh, to try to get more hostages out. We're only at four, and there are more than two hundred.
0: Yeah, it's a very volatile time in Israel and uh, within Israel, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of support for President Biden's handling of the situation. But there's also been some skepticism about how Biden's solidarity with Israel has also been designed perhaps to constrain their scope of military action. They've delayed the the long expected ground invasion in Gaza, at least for for a week or two now. Um, There's also a lot of debate within Israel about the best military uh, action or plan. But uh, there's worry uh, among Israelis and uh, in the United States as well that after showing strong support for Israel and a desire to take out Hamas, that a lot of the progressives, the squad, the the folks on the left have started to really mount some pressure on this White House and really kind of allow this administration to equivocate a little bit in what they want Israel to do in terms of taking out Hamas and taking out the terrorist infrastructure. So, you know, we're in a holding pattern and uh there's a lot at stake there's a threat of a regional war iran uh continues to with its proxies uh, threaten our own military personnel in the middle east so this is a very volatile time and big picture politically brett is that you know biden is presiding over uh two really really uh uh, volatile situations both russia russia and ukraine and and now israel hamas and and iran in the middle east and uh getting some shades of 1979 where where another uh Democratic president looking for a second term was uh, facing surprising challenges from Russia and Iran, and ended up those those conflicts and, and the problems that that it caused Jimmy Carter cost him uh, his second term and a reelection chance.
3: Yeah, and at this time words matter. And one, uh, the White House, Green Jean Pierre was asked the other day about anti Semitism popping up in these college campuses around the country, and her answer dealt with Islamophobia and Muslims under attack in the US and today had to kind of walk that back and, you know, reverse course and say, you know, on the anti-Semitism front and how concerned they are about that. But during these heightened emotional times, words matter from the White House pulpit and words matter from the president.
2: No doubt about it, but I think they're putting up billboards to Biden In Jerusalem, because he is seen uh, in Israel as a as a supporter at this time, and you know it's 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 not the case that it's only people on the far left who have some criticism here. I mean, you know, remember historically it was Pat Buchanan who said, you know, Capitol Hill was Israeli occupied territory, and you have it seems to me criticism coming from former President Trump uh, saying critical things about why Israel was not aware that this attack was coming. But what you see is that in our politically polarized condition here as Americans, everyone is looking some way to put some pressure on either President Biden, President Trump, blame somebody and make it a matter of a point of political leverage. I just think it's important to understand as we go forward on this that President Biden's request for, is it a hundred plus billion dollars of aid for both the forces in Israel as well as in Ukraine and to prepare in the, uh, you know, in, in the Asian region for possible Chinese aggression against Taiwan, that there has to be some consideration for U.S. national interest. The President Biden made a I think very good speech from the Oval Office last week, got a pretty good response. He's got Senate Democrats clearly behind him going forward. And from what I'm hearing from uh, Mitch McConnell, the Republican minority leader in the Senate, he's got McConnell's support going forward. The question question comes back to the House. Without a leader, they can't even have a vote. They are not in position to help.
3: The tough part that they're in, in right yeah. now. And uh, we don't know how that's going to end. And we end where we begin. And uh, that is continued figuring out who the Speaker of the House will be. Panel, thanks. Now, for a bit of history. On October 24th, 1945, the United Nations was founded after 29 nations ratified the Charter. The organization was founded in the wake of the Second World War in an effort to promote peace around the globe and encourage international cooperation between nations. Today, the United Nations has 193 members, and they meet on an annual basis starting on the 3rd Tuesday of September at the U.N. headquarters in New York. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Be sure to leave-